Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Um, big couple of games coming up for the Canucks here as they've got two left in the preseason. We know they've uh, knocked down their roster and... Things are uh, starting to get closer to the real thing. We're just over a week away, Sat. Yeah, we're we're getting closer and, cl- and closer and closer. It's just fine-tuning essentially one spot. I think we all kind of assume at this point that McCabe is not going to be ready for the first game. Even the head coach keeps saying, I don't know about the game one. Like It, it doesn't look like he's going to be ready to play. When, when the coach is talking about things like, well, we want to see what he's like in contact, you know, those quick movements. That means you're still testing and working through things. So I'm not expecting him the first, maybe maybe not even the first road trip. Who knows, right? Like, we'll yeah. see what happens. So I think we can assume that Oman and Studnika are both on the team. Hoaglander's on the team. It essentially comes down to that one defenseman. Yep. Uh, who will be the one defenseman that gets the boot? And do they add somebody like somewhere? Better too. Yeah, exactly. And do they maybe add somebody? Well, that's where it kind of gets interesting. We're going to get into Quinn Hughes here a little bit, but let, let's start there. I mean, there's, I I felt like there's three kind of interesting names on waivers today. All right shot defenseman, Jacob Bernard Docker. We learned that last night, the Ottawa Senators, um, 2018 first round pick. They already lost their 2019 first round pick, yeah. Lassie Thompson to the Anaheim Ducks. Now they might lose another one, um, but also two guys out of Boston, Guys they recently acquired, because Don Sweeney's just like, I guess I'm just going to acquire a bunch of right shot D and hope one of them sticks. Right. Um, so they got Alec Regula in the um, in the Chicago trade that sent Taylor Hall the other way, and they got Riley Walsh in a trade with the New Jersey Devils. Both of those players ended up on waivers today. So, look, we've been speculating if the Canucks are going to dive into the waiver wire try to get a right shot defenseman to add into the mix here. I would say that these are three of the more intriguing names that have opened up the waiver wire in the last little bit. Well, yeah, and I think even more inter- interesting names might still come onto the wa- waiver wire the next few days here. And there, it's, it depends kind of on how the organization is tiering these guys, if they are looking at adding somebody on the waiver wire, and whether there are players that will be available in a few days that they are higher on than who's available now. It depends the profile they're looking for, but I would assume you want somebody who can move the puck decently, yep. can play okay defensive hockey, and can maybe play alongside a couple of your guys, right? Nobody's going to be Quinn Hughes' long-term partner here. I think that's something everybody has to understand about the waiver wire. Like, I'm pro picking somebody up, but it's not about, like, this guy's going to be a top-four defenseman in two years. Yeah. It's literally, can he fill a spot for NHL minutes because you have a need on the right side, and you're considering playing... Cole McWard. Yeah. So it's like, can you find somebody that's at his level or higher so you can let the kid go and develop in Abbotsford? Like, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Being a Gustav Forsling are very slim. Very slim. Hey, I'm open to it. I hope it happens, but yeah. let's be realistic. It's somebody who can play third pair of minutes, essentially, mm-hmm. and maybe could play a few minutes a game with Quinn Hughes, right? That's why even a guy like Jacob Bernard Docker is interesting to me. He was drafted way too high. He's not a great offensive defense, but his puck movement, movement can be somewhat suspect at times. But he's smart defensively, he skates well, and he has a decent head on his shoulders, right? Is he somebody in a good structured environment that he can play? Can he play simple? Yeah. And can you rely on that more than you can rely on a Noah Juleson or a Cole McWord, for instance? I think it's intriguing enough for you to explore. Now, he has a tough couple of years on his contract. 
depends on how much you view him as being an actual prospect or not. The other guys you mentioned too, those are players that are kind of similar. Maybe one has a bit higher offensive upside, but I think these are the types of players you're looking at. Yeah. And if you're if you're looking for somebody, I think there's going to be somebody worth picking up here the next day or so. Well, Regula was was interesting to me. He didn't play much last year in in Chicago, but he's six foot four. So yeah. you know he adds a bit of a size element that we know the coach would like to see more of on the roster. Uh, scored well in the OHL, I believe. He led uh, OHL defenseman in goals one year when he's with the London Knights, and scored pretty well at the AHL too. So if you're looking for a scoring profile, which the Canucks not aren't really necessarily, but um, it's those types of things are there, but you wonder, you know, why couldn't this guy break through on a really bad Chicago defense mm-hmm. last year? So there's obviously some question marks there in Boston trying to work with him as well. But just uh, touching base with a few reporters in Boston, they said he looked pretty good through camp and, you know, that the the, the Bruins just plan on continuing to work with him mm-hmm. should he pass through waivers. So that's kind of the profile you're looking for. But the thing is... Is anybody you're going to find all that much more intriguing than what Cole McCord has done in the organization already? I think there's a legitimate argument, obviously, because of his upside to say, at least you're investing into your future. Yeah. I'm still waiting to be convinced. I've been saying this for a few days now about Cole McCord. Like, I see it. I see the tools. I don't see it in terms of, has he taken that step? Is he at a point where I can look at him and say, okay, this guy can play minutes. I watch him defensively in his own zone. It's problematic at times, right? His puck moving is, is pretty decent. He does, however, have some issues with his reads here and there, but like he's a silky player at times. So I get why they feel like he's he's got some class and it's like I can trust a guy with some class to get out there and move the puck and, and not be a deer in headlights and credit to him in that sense. I don't know how I feel about him in terms of tough situations and they will inevitably happen. You won't want to start him in them, of course, right? Especially on the road. Right, but... Things happen, you know, like somebody ices the puck. Next thing you know, you're back in your own end and now you're facing the other team's top line. Like you're, you're going to face those moments. Yeah. It's going to happen. Like, how do I, how do I feel about you in those situations? And right one, now, one defenseman ends up with an injury and can't return to the game. And you got to play more minutes. Like yeah. things happen. Exactly. And I haven't seen enough of a hit of him to say, okay, like, I feel like he can, I can at least explore what that looks like yet. So that's where I am with a guy like Cole McWard. But to his credit, he still looked better than Noah Juleson. He still yep. looked better than Jet Wu, obviously. And these are guys who have played, you know, hundreds of pro games now at this point. And this is a kid who just came out of college. It uh, it, it kind of, like, last year when they signed him, the big thing was they really convinced this player to come out of college early. Yeah. My, uh, my tinfoil hat theory is, like, this was how they got him to come out of college early. You're going to get a real chance to play with Quinn Hughes yeah. next year. Yeah, we're giving you a real shot. And look, we're give, we'll give you all a camp. So this is like the the conspiracy theory. This is them them making good on their promise, kind of, kind of. And we're all sitting here going, "What is going on?" All right, that's a good theory. I'm I'm not one for tinfoil hat theories, yeah. but that's one that actually makes me. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Okay, no, now maybe that makes a little bit more sense. I, I but but credit to him though. I, I think I you know sometimes I think it comes off as being dismissive of what he's done, and I don't think that's fair. It's just every, nobody else has really yeah. claimed that spot. He's been. Um the best of an underwhelming bunch, uh, I, I guess, right? Yeah. And and he's been fine. You know, it's it's not that he's been bad or anything, no. but for a player uh, at 21 going into his first real pro season, you would expect like, hey, you're winning a big, pretty big spot on the roster. It's like this guy really popped. Yeah. You know, he had a preseason like Adam Goddard had a number of years ago uh, when, you know, he was 
uh, showing better than than Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle at the time. And it was like, okay, we gotta we gotta keep this guy on the roster because he played so well through preseason. It hasn't really been that from Cole McWard, so um, it, it's still a little bit. I got I got questions yeah. as to why it's it's ended up this way because the easy route would be just have Noah Juleson in that spot or whomever else, yeah. and piece it together from there and let Cole McWard continue to develop in the AHL, but. Are they that afraid of Noah Juleson? I mean, they they I mean, they went from being pretty high on him last year, signing him and, you know, speaking about how Foot liked him and they saw something there to like, we're out on this guy after like what, two preseason games? <laughs> well, they kept him, right? They signed him in the summer. So yeah. it's like, um they they liked enough of what they saw at the end of last year to say, like, let's keep going with this. And it just hasn't worked out so far here in preseason. Um, so Quinn Hughes. We have two games of Quinn Hughes in the preseason. He has scored two goals. Both came on Saturday against Edmonton and 19 shot attempts from Quinn Hughes. We know from talking to him that this has been uh, a thing for him going back to even last offseason. But what does it, how does it translate to? a positive for the Canucks as a team if Quinn Hughes becomes more of a goal threat for them. I think it changes a lot of, I think it makes them a far different threat in terms of ways they can hurt you and the way teams can defend you. Because you can see at times, and you saw this in certain situations where the good teams against Vancouver, they felt pretty good about protecting, boxing out the front of their net because you don't need to drag anybody out. So they felt pretty good about, we can protect, our slot fairly well against this team. We won't let them get inside too much. We won't allow too many secondary chances because there's nobody really from the back end who's going to be a massive threat, mm-hmm. you know? So even when, when Oliver Rickman Larson was really struggling as well last season, and if Quinn Hughes wasn't scoring goals for the first 40-some games, you saw it was hard for Vancouver oftentimes to create good scoring chances because of how teams were able to close down on them. So I think happening guy like Quinn Hughes, not just because of the shot, that will also create some more looks, but if he attacks and goes downhill on guys, you can drag out some of those guys out of their position. You force guys to move because they have to react to you now. And that creates more space. That creates lanes. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, as much as, you know, we talk about how Boudreaux, uh, it, maybe it seemed like things got too much or whatever, and maybe he wasn't keeping up to the game the way he should have. But one thing I think he mentioned, which was very true, is when you're playing, you can't be looking sometimes for things that aren't there. Like, don't force things. Yeah, sometimes you want to take the game on, but don't force something to happen. Just go out and play, and things will create, and that's going to allow you to showcase some of your skill. And if you're able to have a guy like Quinn Hughes who can drag people out of position, that can open up more space for other players. And I think him being able to do that consistently and being a downhill threat, not only does it make the team more dangerous because of what you can do up top, it finally opens up more space for guys down low. It's like uh, when you add a... uh... A three-point threat in basketball. It spreads the floor. Yeah, uh, The Canucks having another goal-dangerous player could uh, spread the ice out a little bit in the offensive zone um, and, and it could help on the power play, could help in, in numerous situations because we know Quinn Hughes is usually playing on the front foot when he is on the ice. My concern would be, I felt last year, early in the season, he was trying to force it. Mm. A little bit. With, I think the shots, yes. And it took a long time. Like, he was in a goal drought for the first little bit of the year. It took him a while to get that first one. And then, you know, Monkey was off his back. He ended up scoring seven for the season. Not bad. But it 
felt to me like he was forcing the shot Mm -hmm. too much and leaving better plays out on the ice in order to take a low percentage shot. And then that takes away from Quinn Hughes's value because ultimately, yeah, he can improve his shot. Yeah, he can improve his game that way to a certain extent. But his best trade, his best value as an offensive player is always going to be his vision and his ability to set other players up for goal opportunities. I think that's fair in terms of taking a lot of shots from the point. And I think he took a lot of shots, especially on the power play. There were moments you're like, he, it seems like he's just trying to get the monkey off his back yeah, instead yeah. of initiating the power play the way he needs to. I don't want to see that, right? But what I do want to see is him, like I said, go downhill and create chances by attacking uh, you know, penalty killers or attacking defenders or even other forwards that are trying to defend him. That's how you open up the space, I think, more than anything else. And yes, I like seeing him have a better shot. And actually think if he shoots the puck the way he did on um, his first preseason goal on the power play, I'm all for it. Even though, you know, you can say there was a, a level of luck because the puck, puck bounced off a player and went in. But he shot the puck after creating some east-west movement and aligning the two penalty killers and the Canucks net front guy in an angle to take away the goalie's eyesight. And he shot the puck exactly when the goalie couldn't see the puck. So to me, that that's a really smart point shot, you know? So those things, yes, do more of that. You know, and if you have a bit of a heavier shot and you can be a bit more accurate, you can maybe score a few more off those types of opportunities, right? And, you know, cr- get them through the, the lanes. But forcing point shots, I'm with you. If he's doing that, when there's nothing there, then yeah, I have a concern. I think it's one of the, um, not a common misconception, but I, th- I feel like there's, there are some that think the only way to score more goals is like improve your shot, improve its heaviness. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. Like, as you mentioned, there's ways to manipulate the game, manipulate your angles to work to your advantage if you are a shooter. And I think, you know, in Quinn Hughes, he can improve his shot a little bit. Maybe you improve your release a little bit, but it's never going to be the heaviest shot in the NHL. Like, this is the way that you have to... You're going to have to manipulate the game a little bit in order yeah. to increase your goal total if you're Quinn Hughes. Absolutely. I think guys like him, that's what you have to rely on. Yeah. You know, and you look at some of the greats that I've played in the past. I mean, for instance, I think one of my favorites is Brett Hull because you looked at his actual skill set outside of the shot, which was an incredible shot. There was nothing really there. Not the biggest guy, not the most physical guy, not the fastest player, not the sickest hands, but... I'm here for you to drag Brett Hull. It's fine. It's fine. No, but, <laughs> but, but, but incredible shot and he had incredible hockey sense yeah incredible iq incredible hockey sense he knew exactly where to be and he knew exactly how to manipulate angles to get his shot off and do different things and that's why he was one of the greatest goal scorers in, in nhl history and if you have a certain level of talent or a level a level of ability in hockey sense like quinn hughes clearly has on top of the skating and just your overall skills that he has then those are the things you have to tap into to a higher degree to elevate your goal scoring or your threat on the ice. Because yes, his shot is heavier. And I, I don't know if I believe uh, Talkett saying it's 20 miles faster. He said 10 to 20 miles harder. I don't know if I believe it's 20 miles harder, but certainly is harder. It's more about, to your point, how do you use your skills in other ways to score goals? Well, the thing is, like, how often are you able to get off that extremely heavy shot? Well, you barely He's never going to play the half wall on the power play. No, I mean, we, you, you're so right. I mean, how often how often do you see defensemen even get a chance for the one-timer like that? Unless it's set up on the power play. Yeah. Unless somebody somehow walks into a loose puck in the slot, you know? Outside of that, it's impossible for 
a defenseman with a with a heavy point shot to get that shot off. Yeah, there's you know? so little time and space on the ice. You know, the wind up alone is is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Coaches don't want to see you doing that too often because it'll get poked off your stick or who knows what'll happen. It's just like exactly. There's there's never uh, a ton of opportunities for any player really to just wind up and hammer one at 105 miles an hour. Well, it's like it's like having a you know I'm sure people that have Ferraris get a lot of value in it. Yeah. But like, how often can you really open it up? You know what I mean? Yeah, you taking it to the Autobahn <laughs> in Germany or what? Yeah. So I, I mean, how much can you really, like, I'm sure you can do it here and there or whatever, yeah, but yeah. you can't really tap into what it can do oftentimes because it's limited because of where you live and, yeah. and and how the rules of the road work and everything and the traffic situation. Like, you can't do the things you really want to do with it, for instance, yeah. right? So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at now with, with Quinn Hughes. And I'm curious to see how it plays out over the course of the year. You know, it's not like... Seven goals, eight goals for a defenseman is fine. Yeah. You know, um, when I was looking it up, there were 33 defensemen in the league that had 10 goals or more last year. So we're talking about very few. Yeah. You know, of all the defensemen in the league, 33 had double-digit goals. It's a very small number. So if he gets to, like, it's not about him getting to 20. No. It's more about getting to 12 15 on the high end if things really go well and that's probably a high shooting percentage year for Quinn Hughes absolutely and you know even if he gets like 11 or 12 I, I call that a win you're right getting double digits is not easy even yeah. good defensemen that score a lot have years where they dip down to eight or nine or something it happens right unless you might be killing the car and a guy who can score 25 30 which is a different type of level but nobody's assuming even Eric Carlson isn't scoring 20 goals every year yeah you know, like it's it's a hard thing to do as a defenseman. It happened last year, but he was like literally the only player on the San Jose Sharks. Precisely. I mean, he he's done it, but like you go through his history, it's not like every year he's banging twenty goals. Yeah, I almost guarantee Eric Carlson will. No, I do guarantee Eric Carlson will not score twenty goals next season with Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I mean, just it, probably just some natural regression. Watch him score thirty next season. He's not going to be the guy that they rely on to to shoot a ton. No, right now you got Malkin, you got Crosby working with you instead of. Honestly, I don't even know who was on the top power play unit outside of like Thomas Hurdle. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, so, Eric Carlson has hit 20 goals three times in his career. Now, he does have a 19 goal season. Yeah. But we talk about Besser, right? You know, like 29 is not 30, like whatever, right? Like, so it's not very easy to do. So, for Quinn, he, like, he's had years where he's had three and 53, he had nine and 79 to the point I made before. Like, it's hard. But if he gets like 11, 12, 15, yeah. 15 is like, I think would be a, a huge, if he's, if Quinn Hughes scores 15 goals next season, he's going to be a Norris finalist. Yeah, probably. You know, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. And it, it's, it's out there for him should he want it. But, you know, I think from the team's perspective, again, it's more about, are you selecting the right shot? Are you getting yeah. the best shot on the ice available to you, especially on the power play when there is other shooters there for the Canucks to go to. It It is something that I think is going to be needed by the team, though, because of my concern that we've talked about through the course of preseason and a little bit in the summer. I still kind of worry about their ability to score a lot this season. And it, it's this is a team that, you know, when... Travis tried to rein it in defensively, they would stop scoring. Yes. You know, it's like a baseball team, like the Jays through the 2000s, it was like they could hit, 
one year they were like one of the best hitting teams in baseball. The next, but they couldn't pitch. And then the next yeah. year they could pitch and they couldn't hit. Yeah. And it was never like you never had the 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 balance that you need. So I wonder in this more defensive, low event system where the extra goals are going to come from for the Canucks. And that's one area that I would feel pretty confident in Quinn Hughes being able to up his total just a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we we will do more prognostication yeah. over the course of uh, next week as we head into the season opener on, on next Wednesday. But I, I do agree generally it's, that it's, it's going to have to come in the aggregate. Right? Well, exactly. The power play has like a lot of this, so much of the Canucks offense next season is going to be dependent on the power play. Yeah. Can they have a top 10 power play? Yeah. That's what they need. You know, I, I think for the, the penalty kill, the bar has been so low that I would take if you're in, like if you're in the teens, like if even if they finished 18th or 19th, I know it's not great, but better than 31st or 32nd, you know what I mean? Yeah, be like, top 20. Yeah, be top 20. Like pre- preferably, preferably you want to be top 16, mm-hmm. you know, top 16, 15. That's kind of that's that's kind of the cutoff range to be a real competitive team, I think. Now, there are teams that have like 18, 19, 20 power penalty kills and are good in the playoffs. Like it doesn't mean you don't have a chance, but generally speaking, that's kind of where you want to be. But that's the bar for the PK. The power play has to be top 10. I think top 15 is not good enough for this yeah. team. I don't think that's going to be enough offense. It's uh, it's still like, it, the the power play, special teams is huge. You know, if it, let's say they are a more even team at five on five, mm-hmm. which is asking a lot considering how much they were below right. at five on five last year, um, and certainly the penalty kill crushed them. But you know, for a team that is not among the most talented in the Western Conference, special teams is going to be huge for the Canucks this year, as we very much. No. Yeah, and honestly, like I know we 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 joke a lot about Fielder Giuseppe, but they need that line, the Ben Miller Besser line, to be productive. You know, oh, and very much so. You know, and whether it's you know we talk about him, what what are realistic expectations? Ultimately, it comes down to can can Besser and Miller combine for sixty goals? Yep. That's kind of what you need. Like if you want to be a good team, that's kind of what you need. You need sixty goals from those two guys somehow. You need at least 60 goals from Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Yeah. That's kind of what you need. There's uh, there's 120 goals on your top two lines. Uh, maybe you get uh, between 30 and 35 from Suter and Garland, you know? Yeah. Like, it, and now now you're at 150. You're like, okay, well, now you're just chipping in with guys who have like 10 or 8. Now, next you know? thing you know, you're getting to 260, 270. You feel okay about yeah. it, right? Like, you want to be in the... I think two eight, but like look at Vegas last year. Vegas and Vancouver scored about the same rate, yeah, in the regular season. But the team game is what mattered. But you were still a top of the, top half of the leagues in scoring. Like you have to be top half of the league scoring with a really good team game, yeah. Because if you're not, that means your offense is going to really suffer. But you got to be able to score three goals a game. Canucks weren't even top ten in goals for last year, so um, just taking down a lot of the goals against isn't going to solve all of their problems. They need to maintain a lot of the goals that they scored last year. Yeah, and we'll see. And, and a big question is going to be, who else emerges? Yeah. You know, we put a lot of stock into what Hoaglander and Put Colson were going to do. Hoaglander is getting his chance. Put Colson, we know, has got to go and work on his game a bit more. You know, Bavillier last year had a career year, and how many goals can he score this year? You know, like, it. I think there are a lot of question marks about can they have somebody emerge from that secondary group or not? Yeah, and uh, Bovillia getting the big spot on the top line yet again. All right, we'll continue this conversation. Irfan Gaffar is going to join us. Uh, what he sees with the Vancouver Canucks and maybe any transactions they might have in store over the next little while.
You are listening to Canuck Central. Tune in to Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casillero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend Contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casillero del Diablo, available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasilleroManchester.com. I did, I did it better today. Very good. Manchester. <laughs> who's, who's your all-time Manchester United legend? Is it Juan Mata? Oh, no, I love Juan Mata. Honestly, such a classy player. He's one of the best players in the Premier League when he played for Chelsea. Like, And he had yeah. a couple of good years. Uh, it's got to be Eric Cantona. Yeah. Of course it's Cantona. I love Cantona. Uh, what a wild man. I believe our next guest is a uh, Manchester United fan. So we'll ask him. Uh, Irfan Gaffar coming up on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, it is Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We're in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. All right, let's bring in our next guest. He is Canucks insider Irfan Gaffar. What's happening? What's going on, fellas? Ready to get through this hit by committee. <laughs> <laughs> like the Canucks are going to get through 82 games on defense by committee? Yeah. Exactly. I think if we do it together and we all pony up and share each other's weight and, you know, give 110%, we'll definitely get through this next 15 minutes. That's always uh, code for we're not good enough, so we have to do this. We have to pull together here. We need a bit more from from everybody. Like, that's what it's code for. It's code for we're not good enough on the back end. Well, and you know what's really funny? Like, what did he say last year when he came and looked at the back end? Like, this this one's significantly better. Exactly. I mean, and you know what? Like, at least I can look at it and say, the... The by committee approach at least makes some sense. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying it's ideal, but I'm like, eh, at least it makes some sense. Yeah, and I, I, look, I mean, you can poke fun and say what you want. And you know what? I, I think Rick talking again, is doing something to, you know, try and maybe soften the blow of people talking about his defense and what they're going to be or who he wants to play where and, you know, what the defensive pairings are going to look like. Um, because, you know, like we said last week, Quinn Hughes might have – a different guy every second or third week that he's skating with, yeah. right? And you, who's going to be your shutdown guy? And, you know, is the is the fifth and sixth defenseman, are those guys, that going to be, you know, uh, a, a rotating door of, of different cast members um, all season long? And then you look at injuries. So it's an interesting way to look at it. But I think if you're, you know, on the outside looking in, you're like, okay, by committee, so you really don't really know what you're going to get out of this defense. I wonder if Travis has texted Talkit and been like, you think that's bad? <laughs> you ever see what I had to work with? <laughs> no no extra comment needed. Uh, Cole McWard, though, is, I mean, he's been the surprise of camp. I don't think he's been the best player out of camp, right? That's clearly where Jack Studnika is, the, the, the guy who's earned the most clout through training camp and through the preseason games that he's played. But Cole McWard has seemingly won the sixth defenseman job over the others he's battling with. And we're all a little bit surprised. He's still 21 and yeah, he's not going to play a ton of minutes, even if he lines up as Quinn Hughes's most common partner, but it's still a surprise to see Cole McWard of all guys to end up in this spot. Well, I was surprised to see him still on the roster after that last preseason game when he took three penalties. Yeah. 
The second like, penalty I, wasn't I great. That, I thought that that was the one that, okay, if there's an audition you needed to have, and this is the one that, you know, made yourself look not, not as good as you could have. But you know what? Uh, they, they definitely see something in him. Um, uh, like Quinn Hughes is obviously a lot more mature as a defenseman. And, you know, he, he can work with him a little bit. But I think they like his game. I, I, I really do. I think they like what he brings. Uh, I think they like the fact that he, that, that he is physical. I mean, obviously, he's a little bit of a project. You know, you have to work with him. Like you mentioned, Reach, he is only 21 years old. So there's a lot of room for uh, to, to learn, a lot of room to grow um, as a defenseman, especially in the National Hockey League. But beyond that, like that who really was there There, there's nobody pushing for spots and that's the thing we mentioned jack rathbone's name a while ago he didn't do anything and this was the cap for him no i mean and that's the problem here i think like a lot of the guys they had hoped would show something haven't and i know it's training camp but like they should have shown not to should have shown more but like are they how, how surprised do you think they are that they didn't get more from the guys they were banking on to show something shocked yeah I, I really do. I think you have to be yeah. right. If you if you're a if you're a if you're a player coming in and you look at from the outside looking in, if you're kind of a fringe guy and you look at this defense, say okay, Hughes, Susie, uh, you got Tyler Myers, and you know there's Ian Cole, but there are some roster spots up for grabs. Right. Like how are you not chomping at the bit and training and 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 every single way, shape, or form, trying your absolute hardest to not make a roster spot to not be on this team? So for the coaching staff, they're like no one's really come in and wooed us. So we have to go with Cole McWard because he's the only one that's shown anything that he's done anything yeah, and that he wants to be here. So credit goes to McWard, obviously, because he's definitely shown them something. But you look at it from the, from the outside perspective and even from maybe their coaching staff perspective, it's like, well, what, what, what did the other guys even show us? Well, it is a bit of a, you know, F you to the guys, right? It's like, hey, we'd yeah. rather go with this guy than you guys, right? Yeah. And I just wonder, too, uh, is it just a matter of time before they pick somebody off waivers or make a minor trade? Yeah, I mean Bernard Docker is there, right? Yeah. Um, and is that? I mean, are they going to put in a claim? Probably should. I mean, I, I bet you there's probably about 25 other teams that probably are going to put in a claim as well. Um, but I think I think it was, you mentioned it maybe sad or someone mentioned on Twitter that that like that can't be the answer. There's still an issue. Right. Right. That's just a stop. And, and, That's like, just better than McWard, no. right? It's just like exactly. hey, That's this is just somebody who's better than McWard, but you still have to solve it long term. Yeah. So. Is their long-term issue, or, or I guess not issue, is, is their long-term, long-term problem who's going to be play with, playing with Quinn Hughes? Like, when are they going to address that? Or are they even going to try to? Yeah. And I think that, that's, that, that that becomes a bigger question in itself. Now, is it be a trade? Is it you hope you draft someone? Is it, is it one of these guys who works out eventually? But it's still something that's there. And that's going to be the circle, the, the, the dark cloud that, that surrounds that defense is who – going to be Quinn Hughes' long-term partner. Yeah, and and I don't know, like, it is it is a big deal to find that player for Quinn Hughes, yeah. obviously, but it's, like, Quinn's good enough that he can get by with a stopgap next to him yeah. and still get by pretty well with a stopgap next to him. You know, like, the, the, the New York Rangers, like, uh, who, who's with Adam Fox most of the time? Lindgren? You know, that guy wasn't really doing much of anything before Adam Fox got there. He's like, why is this guy even on the roster from a lot of people out of New York? Mark Mathot. What was Mark Mathot before he started playing with Eric Carlson in, in Ottawa? Like, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big name. You just, you got to find somebody that's going to fit next to Quinn Hughes in the way that, I guess, Chris Tanev did in his rookie year. And even... 
Luke Shen. Like yeah. you, you'd like to do something a little bit better than Luke Shen in the end. Yeah, I mean, and, and as of right now, it's you know, twenty-one-year-old Cole McMord. Yes, and <laughs> I, again, look, I'm not, I'm not making fun of Cole Ward. I, I think that he deserves to be where he is. Obviously, you know, probably going to play some National Hockey League games and, and playing some big minutes um, this season if he does end up being paired with Quinn Hughes, and, and good for him because he come, came in and had a and had a really good training camp and, and impressed his coaches. But again, like you know, there there's definitely going to be some question marks surrounding that defense and. It's better than last year, well, so yeah. that like that like that, that that's the whole thing by you know doing it by committee where it gets me. It's like okay, well we got to do this all together because we really don't know where we're at there. Yeah, and and I do think with having Philip Aronik and the quality he has, and having Ian Cole yeah. who can be dependable on the PK role, like I do think now they have guys like Susie Cole, uh, Hironic, and you know obviously even Tyler Myers. You feel like okay, you have you have the core of what your PKD should look like, so you feel like those minutes are gone, right? You feel good about your power play with Hughes and Hironic; they're going to take care of the first two pairs. So I think on the special teams aspect, their minutes are pretty like you feel really good about who does what and how it's all going to work. It's about five on five deployment, and I would say like two. To the point there, they're making it's easier to handle five on five deployment because if it gets to four on four, you're still only relying on Hughes and Heronic anyways. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. when you look at it through that aspect, it can work. But it goes back to what you mentioned too. Like, at what point does this organization solve a couple of long term issues? Right? Because even guys like Pia Suter and Teddy Bluger, they're short term. In terms of, you know, this long-term centerman, maybe they end up extending Bluger if he's really good. But even up front, like, how many guys are in the last year of their deals? Like, Bavillier, for instance. You know, what's Dakota Joshua, for instance? Is Neil Hoaglander a scorer? Like, this season, a lot of it's going to be not only about how much, how are they competing for the playoffs, but as long as your stated goal is we want to get better and we're thinking long-term, those questions are also going to be asked until they address them. Well, you mentioned long-term, and, the, like, what if Philip Ronick has a ridiculous start to the season? Yeah. Right, another and big contract. Want, yeah, yeah, and, and and is that another? Is I don't even want to throw numbers out there, but like eight. That that's going to be the starting point for him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is, is to, as to what he's probably going to want. If he has right? a good season, probably, it's probably going to yeah. like you're looking at seven. Yeah, I mean, he, if he I, has I, a nice season. I think I think the the, the Mackenzie Weger contract essentially, which is like seven over eight. Yeah, seven something over. I think you're t- you're talking about like fifty, fifty five, fifty plus million. With that, the that's uptick kind of, in the cap, yeah. like yeah, that's, that's probably where it's going to end up. The only thing is, like, is he really going to have a chance to score forty plus points on the second unit power play? Like, that's the only thing I wonder about. Like, is he going to have enough opportunities to put up yeah. massive points? If he scores forty points with Quinn Hughes being the the main guy on power play one, that means Philip Ronick had an unreal season. Yeah, well, this team is probably <laughs> having a really yeah, good that means, season. That means yeah. 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 yeah, that means the team's having a great year. And PP one's not very good. So that's yeah. if PP two's out there for a long time. Yeah. But I mean, that's neither here. Those are questions for obviously the future. But uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, you mentioned that. Like, there's there's a lot more questions than just on the back end. And you guys mentioned guys like Bluger and and PS Suter and and obviously a Beauvillier. And, and what's what happens if they get to a point and they're at the deadline and you know they're two three points out of a playoff spot and they're and and they're fighting for it. You know, do the are the Canucks going to be the buyers or are they going to try and you know, get some assets for some of these guys that are on expiring deals. Um, so uh, that, that's why it's a really interesting season, not because everyone wants them to, you know, compete and, and, and be good and, and better than they were, but there's a lot that can happen this season that dictates the next, you know, three, four, five years for this organization. So if the Canucks are in a playoff spot, week of trade deadline, do they keep or trade Tyler Myers? How in? Like, like they're in. Like they're not wild card, they're in. Yeah. 
Oh. It's a tough I mean, one. depending on how he's depending on how he's playing, they probably keep him. Yeah, I, I think it depends on. You know, I, to me, it's dependent on one thing and one thing only. Can they find somebody else via trade after moving Myers to come in? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, or, yeah. Yeah. Do they see something where they're like, hey, we can flip some assets and go and get somebody for a couple of years? Like for what instance? they did with Bo. Like, okay, yeah. we'll trade Bo, we'll get this, and then we'll we'll go and get something else that we like. Like, could you move Bavillier and could you move Myers and say whatever else, right? And separate deals, get a couple picks back, use those picks and whatever else you have to go after somebody who might be available. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's the creative process that, process that they're probably going to have to think. But if they're in a playoff spot and the team's playing well, I, I think they keep them. Yeah. Yeah, it would be tough because, look, as, as much as uh, this market still doesn't love Tyler Myers and he's given them a few reasons not to, <laughs> um, if the Canucks are in a playoff spot, Myers is probably having a decent season. And, yeah. you know, if his workload is, is less, I can see Myers – being bringing more value now that he's like the second most relied on right shot defenseman on this team, rather than the most relied on right shot defenseman with Philip Peronik in town. Well, I mean, you look at the you look at Alex Edler's you know last last little bit here. You know when he wasn't relied upon to be the guy. You yeah. know, he was having himself some good years, and he went to L.A. and obviously a way better team, but was having himself and, play, and playing some pretty good hockey before he got hurt because he wasn't necessarily depended on. And I think that that's the way that they're going to look at, you know, Tyler Myers' ice time and, and distribution and, and scenarios and situations that he plays in. It's how can we get the best out of this guy um, with, with what we have and, and, and what else that we have for him to work with. So I think that that's a way that, you know, Gonchar and obviously um, uh, Rick Tockett are looking to say, okay, how are we going to get the most out of Tyler Myers and put him in positions to succeed every time he steps, every time he steps on the ice? Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one with Myers as as the the season goes on. So it was uh, cut week for a lot of the guys here on on the Canucks. You know, the big one was J- Jack Rathbone, who has since passed through waivers. It uh, didn't really work out, but the the big long term project continues to be Vasily Podkolzin. And you know, there's the debate of do you keep him in the NHL, play him on the fourth line, let him grow into a role, or is this development best served in, in the AHL? And as much as I'm, I'm here to listen to the whole, like, let him figure it out at the NHL level, he's got enough talent, like, it just didn't show at all through camp or preseason. And I think your best bet is to get this guy playing top-line minutes in Abbotsford and hope for the best from there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You know, in order to get the best out of a player, you can't be sitting eating top popcorn in the press box as an extra forward. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You have to be playing. You have to be practicing. The coaching staff down there is good. The management down there is good. Um, and you're not in Utica. You're not far away. You're, you're up the highway. You're, you're, you're an hour away. It's, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's in the AHL, but, you know, they're, they're, he's close to home. And I think that that's one of, the, one of the best things about the team, obviously, moving to Abenture, is having your prospects and, and, and that coaching staff that close. You know, the staff gets to games. The scouts get to each other's games. And, and, and you can watch them and, and you can keep an eye on them. But playing is always the best. Um, play, you know, power play. Play PK. Get top line minutes. You know, score some goals. Figure out the league. Figure out how to be a pro in the AHL. And then you come up here and you have to try and earn your spot because – you know, right now sitting, you're going to be sitting around, maybe getting in the lineup. You know, maybe, maybe playing. You know, one game every every few nights. You maybe see if a guy gets hurt, then he gets in. I like. I don't think. I don't know how. In what situation that helps any player? To be completely honest, I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, if the Canucks are going to want to try and get the best out of him, I mean, in my opinion, I, I would just let him go play some games. Yeah, that's what he needs to do. And I mean, it's it's something that Niels Hoaglander didn't really do to last year. And yeah. I think if you look at where put Colson's at, like you just got to let him go play and, and see if he turn gets out of it. And like we were talking about Jack Rathbone before, and he went from being the Canucks' most important defensive prospect a couple of years ago to a complete yeah. non-factor, yeah. right? Yeah. And as much as you know that you know he, people were surprised he passed through waivers, and even if the team wants to try to trade him, like I don't I don't even think like there are a lot of teams out there saying, yeah, we'll give you a prospect for him. Like I don't see a lot of a lot of interest in players like that. And the last thing you want is your players to turn into negative assets almost or like meaningless assets so you got to make a decision on put colson on even hoaglander and these guys before you get to a point where they become a jack rathbone where they had some promise and value to you and and now they're just another guy in your organization yeah i mean uh of the of the guys of the players that the canucks put on waivers the only one that they knew that they'd probably lose was spencer martin mm-hmm Right, like like that was an yeah. easy one. I don't think that they had any worry that Jack Rathbone was going to get picked up by another team. To be completely mm-hmm. honest, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that that worried them at all. Especially um, on the one way so, deal, the full freight. Like, there's not a ton of teams yeah. just banging down the door to pay that money. And at this point, would they have no. been happy to just clear the money because it's a one way deal? Well, I mean, obviously they would. Yeah. I mean, that, that's probably why they placed him on waivers. But I don't think they were worried about another team picking him up. Yeah. I just think that, that he's going to be he's going to be sent down. He's going to go to the American League and obviously you know play big minutes there and try and figure it out and. It'll be eight, nine defensemen if someone gets hurt. And is that the, I mean, unfortunately, he's one of those guys. I don't want to pick on him, but you just mentioned at one point he was the most important, you know, draft prospect for this organization. And now what? Yeah, now, uh, now not so much. So it's, uh, it's kind of tough the way that it's worked out with, with Jack Rathbone. So, um, you know, we, uh, we, we look ahead, and next week the season is – is getting underway. We know a ton of this team is completely reliant on Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. But the big story um, so far, well, not the big story, but and one thing we're seeing with Quinn Hughes is he doesn't think he's young anymore, which is uh, cool because he's still 23 and still one of the younger players on the roster. Yeah, but uh, he's been at this for a while now. <laughs> but he is—he's been at this for a while now. He considers himself a vet with the uh, with the C on his jersey. But he's been he's been a Canuck through the pandemic and going like I said the pandemic wormhole. Yeah. Like, it probably feels like he's been here for fifteen years, <laughs> well, the, especially since they were in the hotel for right ever. Yeah, both of them—the one in Edmonton and here. Yeah. Um, do do you see more goals in Quinn Hughes' game as he is uh, angling himself for this year? Like he wants to shoot more, wants to be a guy that scores more. Do you see it in Quinn Hughes? I think the the maturity factor we've we've seen and we are seeing, and especially since he's you know was named captain uh, um, of this team, you know you see him mature as a person, and obviously he's saying all the right things and doing all the right things and and being in the right places. But you know at the end of the day, you you still got to go and play the game, right? So for him, I think his goals are they they should be to remain be the same as they always are, you know. Be a steady defensive defenseman. I know he got pissed when someone asked the question about his defensive game. And well, I think the quote was, "Yeah, well, clearly you're not watching, and you haven't watched me." Uh, I think yep. something like that. But I, I think it's you know to to be reliant in your own end. And I don't think he needs to answer any question marks um, for his offensive capabilities. Yeah. To be completely honest, I, I think sky's the limit for him when he gets the puck on his stick and starts skating. Um, he's probably one of, if not the best, other than maybe guys like, guys like Gail McCarr, defensive skaters with the puck in the NHL um just the way that he moves he makes it so easy he makes it look so easy 
you know, before he gets the puck and he's collected in his own end, his head's on a swivel before he even turns around, and that he already knows where that pass is going or where the puck's going or what he wants to do with it. And that's just hockey IQ. That's just being a lot smarter than everyone. And for us to even talk about him being that smart and that good at the age of 23 says a lot about how he conducts himself um, as, as a pro, um, his talent level, obviously, and, and, and just the way that he sees the game on such a different level. We talked about Elias Pedersen very early on in his career and his deception with the puck on his stick and the way that he moves and how he makes guys miss all the time. Well, Quinn Hughes is that, but might be even to a more elite level as a defenseman because he is that good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm interested to see where Quinn ends up this year because he's looked dynamite through camp and setting up, setting himself up for a really good year with or without Cole McWard or the committee defense. <laughs> um, before we let you go, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be positive. I'm not gonna focus on Manchester United from today. Uh, Seahawks no, look pretty good on Monday Night Football though. Yeah, Daniel Jones' offensive line didn't, but I'll take the 10 sacks <laughs> and two picks. The Russell Wilson the trade just keeps on giving, man. Like, Witherspoon looks great. Boye Mafe looks great. You know, like Charles Cross, whenever he comes back. Noah Fant made yeah. a great play. Noah Fant made, made a great play. It's just, well, it's, no one could tackle on that giant. Yeah, play. it's the trade that keeps on giving. It's amazing. It's wild. But, look, I mean, hey, they're, they're, they, they, they played well, but – you know, got to get back to it. I just feel bad for the Giants. You got Miami and Buffalo now for the next two weeks. <laughs> How do you give up 11 sacks, though? Well, uh, yeah. Some of them were bad. Some of them you put on Jones, but some of them that line looked like Russell Wilson's offensive line did a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I can't believe Daniel but. Jones is making $42 million this year. Okay, that's another thing. I had this debate with someone. Like, these football contracts for guys that haven't proven themselves are absolutely outrageous. Like, CJ Strude already has the bag because of how high he was drafted, but like he keeps playing well, and like they maybe don't make the playoffs. That guy's gonna get fifty-five million. Oh, it's crazy how much money these quarterbacks get. I mean, it's you know good for them, honestly. But yeah, a hundred percent great for them. But like it, it almost ruins it ruins the league a little bit. Yeah, I think. Well, it's just it it it's so a running back could have a great season and it's just like yeah, cool, go do it again. <laughs> Here's nine million. <laughs> Daniel Jones like somehow sneaks the Giants into the playoffs, basically running more than he did throwing the ball, and yeah. it's like, all right, here's forty two million because we don't have any other options. Yeah, well, you look at like Kenneth Walker; he's gonna have himself a pretty good year. Yeah, yeah. And the Seahawks are gonna be like, well, you see what we do with running backs around here, so yeah. you're not getting more than like seven. They already drafted his replacement. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's funny, like in the NHL, the top players get running back money. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> It's very true. Well, that's that TV money, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, we can get into it all you want. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, it's the kid that signed for the Spurs the other day, I don't even know his name. Signed a five-year, and I, but I know the number. Five years, $146 million deal. Never heard of him in my life. Yeah, yeah. man. It was it Josh Hart? Got, like, what, $18 million a year or something like that? I'm like, what? How much is $20 million a year? I'm like, what? Luke Walton was getting $7 million to sit beside Kobe on the bench. I remember. And this is, like, 20 years nothing. ago. Yeah, 20 yeah, years ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Final one for you. Uh, does Taylor Swift go to Minnesota? <laughs> I, why? Why did you have to ask me that question? <laughs> All right, you don't, you don't have to answer. It's fine. I'm not answering it. <laughs> You're the best, Irf. All right, guys, go up. All right, there is uh, Irfan Gaffar joining us here on Canucks 
Central. And, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting topics with the Canucks, but uh, it's the defense, man. It's it's easily become the biggest question mark. We, I mean, we knew it was the biggest question mark coming into the season, though. Yeah, we did. And we always wondered who's going to be Quinn Hughes's partner. And I think this discussion wouldn't be quite as, I wouldn't even say intense, really, but it wouldn't be at this level if... It wasn't his partner that they're trying to figure out here. Yes. It's Cole McWard that's in that spot. If they felt pretty good about even Myers Hughes, let's just say they tried it, they felt good about it, we'd be like, all right, whatever. Like six defensemen, who's yeah. fighting for that spot? Like it would be a bit of a discussion, but not that, you know, that uh, immediate, there wouldn't be the immediacy to it. But because it's Quinn Hughes' partner and the fact that the team has admitted whoever plays with him is not going to be his full time partner, anyways. We have to do this by committee with yeah. him and the rest of this defense. That's how it's going to be played. And until you see it in action and until we see whether it works or not, it's going to be a big question mark. Like it is unconventional trying to address it the way they're addressing it. It might be the best option available to you. Yeah. But one, one other thing that I've been wondering is if the reason they, they want to see a little bit more of Cole and Myers together is because it would give them an option if they want to go to Hughes and Heronic more often in game. Yeah. And that's probably going to, ha- like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. We talked about how like the final few minutes, like the third period is just Hughes and Heronic time. Yeah. Essentially like Cole and Myers play together and then Hughes Heronic. Yeah. And then like Susie and uh, whomever else, whether it's McCord or whatever, they get some yeah. real soft minutes and maybe you switch in, you know, Susie here and there with Heronic Heronic may take another shift with Susie and maybe, you know, Hughes gets a shift with somebody else a little bit, but yeah. you see a lot of the minutes kind of tilt to, Towards Hughes and Heronic. Yeah. Which, I mean, honestly, like, I think out of all their combos on the back end, I think that's their best combo out of any combo you can make with any defenseman, yeah. right? And obviously, it's the two best defensemen. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything like, you know, crazy <laughs> here. But I also think stylistically, they really do fit fit really well because whatever shortcoming Heronic has fits in perfectly with Hughes. And the type of player Hughes is, having Heronic as a partner is the perfect fit for him as well. I think they could be a perfect fit together if they can rely on somebody else for a few minutes together. Uh, still a work in progress, the Canucks defense, but in better shape than it was a year ago. All right, uh, tomorrow we'll be in Abbotsford. Uh, it'll be Sat and Bick. On Canuck Central, I'll be doing color alongside Brendan Batchelor because uh, Randeep is off doing whatever important things Randeep does. Randeep's a busy man. He is a busy man. Uh, all right, so that's coming up tomorrow, and we'll have all of your preseason action between the Canucks and Seattle Kraken from Abbotsford, and hopefully we'll see a few of you down at the rink for the game. Tune into the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report, brought to you by Casillero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend Contest. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casillero del Diablo, available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit casilleromanchester.com. Got it. Very good. I, I kind of want to hear Manchester again. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to like be a part of this contest. This sounds amazing. It like, does. Even though I'm not the biggest, like I'm obviously not a Manchester United fan, but like it'd still be awesome. It's Old Trafford. Who, who wouldn't want? I mean, as a sports fan, you wouldn't want. Like, I mean, hey, as a Jays fan, it's like, one of the cathedrals of sport. Right. Well, yeah, it is. Like, I mean, hey, as as a Jays fan, like, yeah. I don't like the Red Sox, but I'd love to go and see Fenway. Fenway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
pretty much along the same lines. So pretty cool. Check that out when you can. You've been listening to Canuck Central.